Wednesday, April 20th. Apparently, that has meaning for some people out there. It has no meaning for me whatsoever, other than the fact that it's 1 p.m. on the East Coast, and this is Market Call. Guy Adami here, joined, as always, by Dan Nathan. Today's Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, and the good folks at Open Exchange because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. By the way, if you're on your device right now, Check them out on the Twitter, at Open Exchange. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. I think you throw a TV on the end of that, at Open Exchange TV. I apologize. Yeah, man, I'm doing okay. I mean, we toughed it out without you yesterday. Carter was in here, and we he did yeoman's work. I like that. I don't know what a yeoman is, but I think he did. I think that's somebody on a ship. It it could be that. You know, it's pretty fascinating, and you and I were just talking before we went on air now. Last night, you were on CBC's Fast Money as this Netflix quarter was coming out in that guidance, and it was pretty shocking when you think about the level of declines in subscribers and what they guided to, and I just thought this was a really interesting comment from an analyst who's been on our show a bunch over the years, Michael Nathanson. He doesn't work at a big, bold bracket bank, but he's a really well-followed guy in the media space. This was a, a quote from an interview he had. It's just shocking. He said, everything they tried to convince me of over the last five years was given up in one quarter. It's such an about face. He's obviously talking about how they're going to pivot towards an ad supported model. Also, what's your quick take here? The stock's down 36%. It's down from almost $700. If you look at this one year chart just not long ago in the fall, it you know might get to 200 from 700 to 200. Now it's a hundred billion dollar market cap company guy. 68%, I think, or something from that all-time yeah. high to where we're trading today. So here's my take. Yes, it was a disaster. I don't, you don't need me to tell you that. We've seen the numbers. It's been, they've been plucked through and parsed <clears throat> any different ways. I'll say this in terms of the stock. I mentioned it last night. I thought we would sort of stop at the 260 level, find a bottom, trade north of 90 million shares on a day, which would be about 11 times normal volume, and maybe have a tradable bottom. Well, obviously, that didn't come to fruition. The stock traded significantly lower than that. But if you look at the volume, Dan, it's going to probably trade closer to 150 million or so shares today, which is astronomical amount. To me, that reeks of capitulation. Now, again, I thought it would stop at 260, so that was wrong, but At a certain point, I think people will say, you know, the stock is beat up, but just in terms of valuation, and I know people are going to at me on Twitter, it's going to start being attractive. And I thought it was around the 260 level. Clearly, by that definition, it should be more attractive here. Yeah, to your point, I mean, listen, 2022 is a bit of a wash. It's going to be a rebuilding year, and let's see what they do on the ad-supported front here. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the 2023 expectations, you know, I think Gap EPS is calling for 15% EPS growth on maybe about 10% sales growth. That might still be a little high, but trading about 18 times that and a little less than three times sales with margins expected to be flat, I think the margins will probably go a bit lower. But I guess the point is really about competition and what they do to kind of fend it off in a way. If you look at the 10-year chart of this thing, though, Guy, it's truly shocking when you think that it's basically just round-tripped everything of the last five years or so. And you've said this on many occasions. Do not bet against CEO founder Reed Hastings. Every time anybody got too bearish, and I'll tell you this, the analysts are getting bearish. There's 18 buys, about 30 holds, and only four sells right now. That sentiment is probably not done bottoming out, but I think you would say 
you know what? You see this thing down near 200, sub $100 billion market cap with sentiment this poor, estimates down enough, you probably want to buy it at some point in the not so distant future. I think this chart tells the story. And look, again, my levels was 260. I'll tell you why. I mean, that was sort of where we bounced from in both December of 2018 and then subsequently in September of 2019. And if you go back and look at this, you can sort of see what I'm talking about. But now this $200 level, which you mentioned, that's where we sort of took off from, obviously, at the beginning of 2018. But don't bet against Reed Hastings. You know what? I've said it for a long time. But quite frankly, since late last year, that's been the right thing to do, Dan. To my earlier point, stock's down 68%. I'm still a huge Reed Hastings fan. I think he will figure it out. But when a stock like this can move like in this type of magnitude in this short a period of time, I think that speaks to not only Netflix problems, but some of the things that are brewing in the broader market that we will talk about yeah. and that you have talked about. Yeah. I, listen, you make a good point, Guy, because we're talking about a company that's lost, you know, a hundred plus billion dollars in market cap. But, you know, if you were to look at Facebook was trading what at 385 in the fall, 385. And here it is at 202 and its lows is down 50%. That was nearly a half a trillion dollars in market mm-hmm. cap. So to your point, there's a lot of funkiness going on. What do you make of those? Some of these other streamers—they're all down in sympathy. You know, Disney in particular—it's a hundred twenty-five dollars stock. It was trading north of one ninety just in you know a few months ago or five or six months ago. Here, this stock—if you look at it on a five-year basis—is basically trading at the same spot it was five years ago. And again, there was a lot of excitement about what they were going to be able to build with Disney Plus and, and taking over Hulu. And it's just not being rewarded by the market right now. No, it's interesting. It never got, you know, when Netflix was at its zenith, Disney never really got rewarded for what Netflix was doing, if that makes sense. I only mention that because the only reason it's being punished today, obviously, is because Netflix is being punished. So it's sort of, they lose either way right now. I thought Disney would be a second half story. But I didn't think it would be a second half story from $125. I thought it would be well north of 150 on its way north of $200. But here we are. You mentioned that the stock's done nothing now for the last four and a half years. That's right. If you look, we're exactly where we started. Obviously, you had some moves to the upside along the way. I think you can make a very good case on valuation. I also think that this will win in the reopening in the back half of this year as people travel. And it's not just a Netflix model type company. Obviously, they have parks and recreations and they have their theater stuff as well on the flywheel that works off all of that. So we'll see. I understand why it's getting punished today. I think it's unjust. Well, all right, let's quickly look at a little roundup of some of the headlines because the media likes reporting on the media, as you know, Mm -hmm. and the headlines are not particularly good here. And, you know, one of the pillars of the bear case for Netflix for years, because people were uncomfortable with how much money they were spending at the expense of their cash flow to create this content, to build this user base that's now declining a little bit here. And, you know, the pillar of the bear case was the competition. Well, it's here and now they're all doing poorly. And, you know, it's interesting to me, I suspect you see some massive consolidation in the space over the next year or so. And, you know, again, this is the story of media, the unbundling, the rebundling, the unbundling, that sort of thing. But, you know, when I think about Netflix, I'll bet you, I'll bet you, you start hearing about maybe a large platform company that's good at ads. Can you think of any of those that might be in the business of acquiring Netflix? You know, it's a $100 billion market cap. Is there a $150 billion deal from Alphabet 
to buy this company. I don't know if regulators would let it happen. It's mm-hmm. not like Netflix has an ad business and it's not like, you know, Google. Yeah, YouTube is kind of a powerful video engine, but that would be really interesting to see here. All right, guys, let's broaden this out a little bit because, you know, next week we're going to spend a lot of time on Market Call talking about big tech earnings and we got them all next week. The mega complex, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, the Amazon, the Facebook here. And I got to tell you, man, this NASDAQ 100 chart, you and I have been tracking it here on Market Call for a little bit. That 13,000, it looked like a double bottom that we ricocheted off of last month here. What's your take? Obviously, we're going to look at Apple and Microsoft in a second. But when you see this chart, what do you see? I think it's hanging on by a thread. And I'm not trying to be you know, people, I think, get upset at us. They think we're too bearish all the time. I don't think we're too anything. I'm just, I just look at things and I'm trying to be honest. But I look at this and say, my God, it is literally hanging on by about four or five different names that you mention all the time that are themselves hanging on by a thread. I mean, look at the move in Amazon. We'll talk about that obviously next week. But when they announced the stock split, I think the stock went from 28.50 up to 33.50, right back down. Google, Nah, not trading all that well. The one that's really hang, hanging in there is Apple, and we'll see what happens with Apple. But look at this chart, Dan, because I got to tell you, hanging on by a thread, well, we're right up against that uptrend line. I don't know. I've yeah. said for a while, I think 137, the levels we saw and we bounced from in October, I think that's in the crosshairs. Yeah, I think so, too. And I mean, that's really the story here. If you were to have a material miss and a guy down at this point, I just don't think investors are going to deem it to be that sort of safe haven play, which they are right now. When you consider the fact that, you know, earnings and sales are expected to be up high single digits this year in line with the EPS growth expected in the S&P 500. But... Apple trades at 27 times. Mm-hmm. The S&P trades at about 19 times or so. And if you look at the out year in 2020 year, I mean, they're 2023 expected mid single digit revenue growth and slightly, you know, high single digit earning growth trading about 25 times. So to me, if the supply chain issues, if Shanghai being locked down, if factories not working, if consumer demand is waning, if PCs are weakening, which we've already seen, how the hell is this stock levitating up here? And that actually brings us to Microsoft, the second largest market cap company in the world. Now, that thing has already broken that two-year uptrend, and it really does perform much worse than Apple year to date. Mm -hmm. It's down 16.5% versus Apple, down a little less than 6% or so. And this one, man, when you start hearing about, you know, PC demand waning and obviously server demand, that sort of thing, this thing really could head back to that nice round number down there, guy. Maybe 250. And if the cloud growth sort of slows yeah. down, I mean, I think that's going to concern people as well. Yes, and I think you're right. The 250 level comes into play without question. And what's funny is now people looking at Microsoft and questioning in terms of valuation. Yeah, Microsoft has been expensive for the last three and a half years, but the stock was grinding higher. Now when people are focused on valuation, the stock sells off, and it's obviously predicated a lot on what's been going on in rates. For whatever reason, Dan, there are not a lot of people that talk about Apple and saying how expensive that is. You're one of the few, and you articulated extraordinarily well. When Apple was a growth company, it was trading at a value stock valuation. It was trading at 12 and a half, 13 times for years, a trough valuation. Now that it's, in my opinion, a value stock, it's trading at a growth stock multiple. Something's amiss here. And again, You've seen moves in Apple over the last five or six years, 25 to 40% moves from peak to trough. Are we in setting up for one? Yes, I'm going to say I think we are. 
Yeah. All right. Real quickly, because this is not in our rundown guy. This is what we call what dealer's choice or something sure. like that. You know, let's let's think about this Nvidia one because again, mm-hmm. this was a stock that looked like it was on its way to being a trillion dollar market cap back in November. It had that huge run from about two hundred dollars to about almost three fifty, right? And that was in late November. The market reversed. The Nasdaq in particular. And so back in January, guy, the stock went from. 340 something down to like current levels down to about 210 or so then it had a huge bounce back and then in february it came back you know what it came back to about 210 or so and then in march it was trading around the same level after a little bounce and then this time it made a higher high okay got to about i don't know 280 or something mm-hmm. here we are we're back at 215 now they don't report for another month or so they already had an analyst meeting i think a little more than a month ago and they gave some good guidance this thing also feels like it's hanging on by a thread and the only reason i bring this up is that 200 dollars level going back to last summer is really important the other thing is is that nvidia was a huge part of the semi like outperformance last year and the semis feel like they're trying to bottom here but they're not going to bottom if this stock breaks that 200 dollars level it was March 14th, and again, we don't have the chart up, so we are looking at a Microsoft chart, folks, just so you, I want to be yeah. clear. But NVIDIA, Dan hit the nail on the head. That March 14th, and we talked about it on Market Call. We talked about it on Fast Money that night. The stock traded, I want to say, down to 204 or so, closed higher on the day. And we actually said, for the first time in a while, it looks like you've got a capitulatory bottom, and there was room to the upside. I didn't think we'd get to 285. I think that's exactly where we got. Well, guess what? We've given it all back Almost. So the 203 level is critical, but it doesn't trade well, to your point. These bounces have been fierce, but they're short-lived as well. And you're looking at the Microsoft chart that speaks to exactly that. Quite frankly, if you looked at an NVIDIA chart, it would look eerily similar to what yeah. we're looking at right here. Yeah, and you know what also did, and Carter, remember that that inversion thing that he did earlier in the week, which mm-hmm. had me captivated? You know, Google Alphabet looks the same way. There's just a cluster of lows over the last four months or so that it's really kind of hanging on for. Listen, I think there's some disasters lurking in big cap, big cap tech, and I'm not trying to like kind of make anybody particularly nervous. The reason why I think it's really important to focus on these things is that when the tide turns, and it's clearly turning, or at least as it relates to growth, and maybe that's to do because the rate situation, which you have aptly been pointing out for a year, is going to be a headwind to equity valuations. People didn't start to believe it until just a couple months ago. But when you think about this, you know the potential for a big guy down or one of these guys next week, I think that's the thing that probably rechecks the market back to those lows that we had just a couple months ago. Here's another one. But if you don't want to listen to Guy and me, listen to Michael Burry. He's the guy who was featured the big short. He called the big short. Last night, he's got this weird thing, Guy, what he does on Twitter. He tweets something out, and then he deletes it shortly later, and so there's no tweets in his thing. But you see this tweet. He said, the competition came for Netflix just like the competition is coming for Tesla. And again, you and I have to talk about markets and Israel stocks every day. So maybe we sound redundant when we bring up stuff that we think is really important fundamentally. He jumps onto Twitter every once in a while and says something. And I think people think it's prescient. I want your take on this. Tesla reports after the close, the options marking is implying about a $70 move in either direction. So that's about about 7%, okay? The stock's around 1,000. That'd be $70 billion in market cap. Again, here's a multi-year chart. You see that uptrend. It did break it briefly, but it ricocheted back. It's in a little bit of a downtrend. I want your take on the fundamentals here because you track the auto industry pretty closely. We know this stock has been really divorced of normal 
normal fundamentals and normal valuation. What's your take right here into tonight's print? Let's go backwards real quick. So in terms of Michael Burry, that was the same guy, by the way, last summer that started shorting the ARC ETF. Yeah. Literally almost to the day that it topped out. Now he's he was a fir- he'd be the first person to say he's typically very early. Well, that time he was spot on. So when he says things, you absolutely <laughs> have to listen. So when he starts talking about competition, technology stock, and to a certain extent, I think a lot of people are looking back of Elon Musk, and that's been the right play in terms of fundamentals. What are the fundamentals? I mean, you can't really rationalize it on valuation. It's ridiculously expensive when you compare it to some of the legacy automakers. So what are you buying here? I think you're buying his vision. In terms of the stock and the chart, you see it right there, Dan. You have a series of lower highs. You have this very steep uptrend line. I think we're going to go back to the February 2021 all-time prior all-time high of 903 and see what's there when we get there. By the way, this stock went from 700 to north of 1100. So that's almost a north of a 50% move to the upside in the course of about four or so weeks. Again, there's nothing normal about what's going on. I think we see 903. So interestingly, guy, yesterday, okay, with Carter, we took a look at Netflix, okay? And, and the implied move in Netflix was about 10%. And last quarter, the stock had sold off about 20% when it also disappointed. And, you know, my view was, and his chart work was really good. I mean, the stock was massively oversold. It was approaching some key, you know, resistance mm-hmm. levels. And my point was, if there's any good news whatsoever, the stock is going to act like a coiled spring. The flip side of that, I also thought that it would take a material guide down, okay, and miss for the stock to go down much more than that 10%. Well, they obviously did do that. I wasn't making a call one way or another. I'm just saying, so now that we've had this Netflix, it's just expanded the volatility bands that I think, in my opinion, for some single names. If Netflix were to disappoint, okay? Tesla, you mean? If Tesla disappoints, thank you, I think it goes down much more than that implied 7% move, okay? Now, granted, if they put up a good number, okay, the stock already acts well. It's only down 5% on the year, right? So to me, I think we're in a one step up, maybe Mm -hmm. two or three back sort of scenario. And, you know, listen, we'll know in about five or six hours, you know what I mean, what, what the story is. But to me, I just don't think the upside downside risk reward is particularly favorable in any of these names that have acted particularly well. I agree. And when I point out, listen, you know, I pointed out that 260 level last night in Netflix. Well, obviously that didn't hold. And I'm pointing out the 903 level, that prior all time high in February. We'll see. I mean, you have to trade against something, right? And there's no science here. And it's easy to do these things a posteriori after the fact. (laughs) We're trying to be a priori for you folks ahead of the game. And so that's what we're looking at. Again, I think Dan is spot on. I think that 7% given what we're probably going to hear tonight, is probably going to be light in terms of percentage move. Yeah. Was that was that Greek or Latin or Italian? Throw Latin what was for that? you. Little, Just throw a little Latin, Latin at you. It's kind of a dead language, guys. So what, what are you trying to revive that thing? Well, it was, it was, when I was born, it was very live. You know, I mean, <laughs> things move. You know, a lot of things. The Sanskrit's moved on as well, yeah, but I digress. That, that's a matter of fact. All right. I think we kind of covered a lot of individual names here, if you will. But let's talk about the macro here. You know, yesterday we talked about the IMF. You know, they warned of, you know, just kind of slower growth globally here. That's what they are meant to do. You know what the I stands for in the MF. It's the International Monetary Fund. And I just think it's interesting now when you start hearing a little bit of some of these inflationary pressures in other places 
around the world. Now, we know that there's things going on. We're going to have massive food shortages as a result of the war in Ukraine. And, you know, this is something that we've been talking about with our co-host, Danny Moses, on our podcast on the tape. Check it out, people, in your podcast stores. Danny started talking about stagflation, okay, and what a stagflationary environment might look like for stocks last summer. Nobody was talking about it. So here we are. We have growth fears and we have high prices in the, you know, the potential to be persistent here. And listen, I, you know, I make jokes about you trading through lots of different markets. You've never traded through a stagflationary environment. And I can't really come up with too many scenarios where that would be good for equity valuations. No, no question about it. I mean, that is not bullish. And that's something the Federal Reserve cannot combat. I mean, they can say they can, they can't is the reality of it. And they're creating it, by the way. And it's not just here. I mean, look, inflation, this is now a global phenomenon. Interest rates are going up across the globe. And when, the, when you're as heavily indebted as the planet is right now, higher interest rates, and I'm choosing to use this word, are catastrophic. You've made the point that by definition, because of these high debt levels, rates can't go much higher. I always say, Dan, I hope you're right, because if they do, I don't know what environment we're looking at, but it's not particularly pleasant. And I will say again, the one thing you have to have on your screen, you have nothing else, is the HYG, which again is vacillating either side of 80 down from about 88, which does not sound like a big deal. But if you go back and look historically at this instrument, it's been the precursor of some pretty violent equity moves, Dan. Nathan. Yeah, so let's just break that down for a second. So that's a high yield bond ETF. ETF, right? And so the idea, if we started to see stress in the credit markets, that's not something that we've seen really since the financial crisis or the rolling crisis that we saw throughout Europe in the sovereign debt crisis in the you know the early 2010s or so. And I guess what's interesting here, and this is one of the reasons why you and I have differed over you know the Fed and what they basically attempt to do when they kind of see a crisis coming on when they hit their monetary policy hard, okay, back, this is easing it, right, in February, in, in March of 2020, what they wanted to do was avoid credit seizing mm-hmm. because they knew that, they, they knew what they didn't know about an oncoming pandemic, right? Like, no one knew how long it was going to last, but it could have become a financial crisis very quickly if we had that happen. So they flooded the zone with monetary, and then they knew fiscal was going to come here. So your point now is keep an eye on the JNK or the HYG right. because LQD is another LQD. one, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so the, they will show you signs of strain in the credit markets. Here's one thing though, guy, I, I got to tell you on the flip side of that, look at the VIX here at 20. Okay. And it's down from what? 38 just mm-hmm. a month ago or so. And at the time, I think you thought, and you said it a couple of times, I think once in January, once in February, and then again, once in March, I think you said it on market call in each month. When you see a VIX that has been elevated off of, let's say one year lows, go into the twenties and then have that spike into the mid thirties or something like that. It's usually a good time to kind of take off your hedges and buy stocks here. Well, here we are. And you're talking about rates near 3% yesterday. You're talking about the HYG looking strain. We're talking about stagflation. We're talking about some big misses in the equity markets. How the hell is the VIX at 20 right now? I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, and you know this better than I do. And maybe it's a function of people selling upside calls and knocking volatility. I have no idea. But to your point, the environment I think we're in and will continue to be in 
the VIX should be significantly higher than it is now. So I can't speak to why it's as depressed as it is, because with the Fed not in the game, yeah. I mean, they were dampening volatility for years. They are now removed themselves. So the VIX should just be higher on the basis of that alone, but it's not. Something is askew, because if you look at the way the bond market trades, I mean, clearly as volatile as we've ever seen it. And you look at some of these individual names. I mean, we spent seven minutes talking about Netflix and the move that that had in a course of 15 minutes. So you have these individual stocks whose volatility is probably north of 40%. Why is yeah. not the broader market? I can't answer that, Dan. Well, you just used the term askew. I see what you did there, Guy Adami, because you're kind of an old school options trader, if you will. You know, I'll just say this. On a day where an S&P 500 stock that yesterday closed with a $150 billion market cap and now has a $100 billion market cap as we're entering earnings season or really the height of, let's say, the mega cap names, it makes little sense to me. You know, we spent a lot of time, though, Guy, over the last t- a couple of weeks talking about the, the, the kind of setup for bank stocks into their earnings and then how they were trading given the results and how they're trading out. Now, it's interesting that JP Morgan let it off and was the worst acting one into it of the mega cap ones are the ones that generally people like and it had the worst results for the most part and traded the worst okay as we got through some of the earnings towards the end the worst name which was Citigroup, which didn't have particularly mm-hmm. great results traded kind of the best here and so if you look at this xlf and i'll let you speak to the instrument itself you know it's kind of in the midpoint of the one-year range but it really feels like on a day like today you know it's acting well where there's a lot of stuff that acts very poorly does this make you feel more bullish about the broad market with the financials trying to find a little bit of a near-term bottom. Yeah, it's interesting. The XLF, and this is the XLF, I believe. 38 is where the XLF is trading. And it's I think it's 13% Berkshire Hathaway, another 12% JP Morgan, and then it sort of wanes from there. To answer your question, does it make me more confident about the broader market? No, because financials are not nearly as important as they were a decade, 15 years ago for the broader market. This is a very heavy technology software-based market I think they're in right now. So it doesn't make me feel better. It doesn't obviously hurt, but I don't think it helps as much as people want it to. I think one of the reasons the banks have bounced is because they had sold off significantly ahead of earnings. And I think now that the yield curve is steepening again, I think people are viewing that as positive for the banks. We will see. But going back to a prior comment about credit, if credit starts to deteriorate, the first names that get whacked are these banks. Yeah. Well, I agree. And I I guess, you know, you could say these valuations, if you think that things are going to kind of get cleaned up with some of the supply chain issues and the world's going to open up, you know, after this pandemic and some of the geopolitical hotspots die down a little bit and we're going to have inflation come in and we'll have rates kind of moderate or at least have an economy that's able to deal with, you know, kind of higher rates. And now that we have lower inflation, you'd say, okay, with a steeper yield curve, Banks should do really well in that environment. But I think you're, you know, you're right to mention again, keep an eye on credit. Any deterioration there and the banks will get hit further and then other things will follow. You know, you also just made a comment about, you know, tech 
in finance, okay? Look at this, mm-hmm. man. I just threw up a few like fintech names, if you will. Look at the bludgeoning that we're seeing. Just today, on average, these things are down 5% for no real reason. And look at that final column guy all the way out there. That is year to date. And we know many of them are down much more than that from their all-time highs. It feels like we're seeing an unwind of a really popular theme in the markets over the last few years. The pull forward of some of the kind of demand for some of these products and you know the valuation wasn't an issue and now it is how do you like how do you make sense of this because some of these are great companies yeah just the stocks got out of whack well it's interesting i mean each one of these stocks has their own story i mean some of them were innovative companies robin hood was the next iteration of the in of, of our business right yeah. of the retail business but in the fact and i've said this on the show many times the only thing innovative about robin hood was the hair of the guys and the name of the company. There was really nothing innovative there. So far, I think problem there is cup twofold. I think the biggest one is they came public as via SPAC. You can speak yeah, to that, right? Yeah, and SPACs yeah. have gotten crushed. Some of these other names, you talk about names, the buy now, pay later. I mean, that's been around since the beginning of time. There was nothing innovative about that. So they're all sort of getting lumped together, but they all have very different stories. But to your point, that's just year-to-date moves. If you go yeah. back and look since probably, I don't want to say late summer, early fall, these things are down far more than that. And what's fascinating, again, all these names, again, the broader market does not seem to care. But there's been some real damage done beneath the surface. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. All right, well, listen, we're going to know a lot more. I, I think like Tesla is important from a sentiment standpoint, you know, just because we know that a lot of retail investors are tracking it very closely. And listen, to be very fair, you know, Elon has made a lot of people a lot of money. Unless you started buying it above levels of where it's trading right now, just a few months ago, you're down. Everyone else is up and they're up a whole heck of a lot. So it'll be really interesting to see how the stock acts relative to the number they print and the guidance that they give. Well, it's down four. $42 as we speak. What's well, probably about, what, 4% yeah. or so. Interesting, again, into earnings. What are people looking for? What do they see? What are they scared of? Anyway, Dan, that's it for today's market call. <laughs> Want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and Open Exchange. By the way, at Open Exchange TV on Twitter. Give them a follow. If you like what you saw, hopefully you did. Tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern, Dan, myself, and EY from SoFi, We'll see you later, Dan Nathan, and good luck into these Tesla numbers. Thanks, bud.